ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರೂಪಿಣೆಯವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾಯುದೇವಸುತಂಗ್ದೇವ ಕಂಸಚಾನೂರಮರ್ದನ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಇನ್ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ವಿ ವಿ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ಫ್ರಾಮ್ ದ ನೈನ್ತ್ to the 16th verses of the third chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita where we find that the Karma Yoga was explained from the perspective of Yajna. So for quite a number of classes we have allocated, we have devoted to describe this uh, the idea, the elaborate idea of Yajna. Today we will proceed to the succeeding verses where we will find that from a different perspective bhagwan sri krishna is explaining the concept of karma yoga so from the next verse onward from the 17th verse onward so we will find that the karma yoga is explained from the perspective of a self realized person now when a person through chitta shuddhi through the purification of his mind has attained self realization so when you are doing karma when you are doing your actions in a detached fashion as we were indicating again and again seek not avoid not that in whatever situation the life has placed you there as per your temperament as per your skills as per your responsibilities you are supposed to take care of your duties in a specific manner so you don't forsake that you continue with that you don't go on aspiring for more and more insatiable desires you seek not neither you avoid you are quite aware of the fact that you are as if playing a role in a huge cosmic group activity so in industry everywhere we know that that the group work in the group we i have a certain role to play the same thing from the cosmic standpoint that this world is vast it has infinite dimensions the yajna is going on in the various levels of various layers of existence in the various dimensions i have to play a very specific role in that and i do that perfectly knowing very well that i am just the instrument in the hand of the divine it is the lord and lord alone is god who is working through me as in a very simple way sri ramakrishna used to say that the mother feels love for the child do you think it's a mother who is loving the child 
she is something almost helpless god has implemented is implanted that love in the mother's heart she cannot do anything other way that love is something which is spontaneously from is flowing from her heart now if she thinks that she is the one who is loving then comes the wrong notion of agency that i am the one and from that all the so called suffering comes the moment you think you are the doer immediately the question of getting something in return comes if i feel that way that even by seeing a poor person empathy wells from my heart compassion wells from my heart immediately i have to be aware of that fact that i am constituted in such a way god has created me in such a way that my genes are empathetic <clears throat> my genes are altruistic even these are the words even in modern biology they are using previously they used to say the genes are selfish <clears throat> in contrary to that they have started saying the genes genes are altruistic now because the idea of yagya we have been created that way that compassion wells up and if you really try to judge without any bias without any attachment to this selfish ego you will find that you are just an instrument all those good qualities i would have been built in such a way that i feel i never feel for others in society there are such people and they are considered as abnormals they are not considered as normals that's why we term them as psychopaths the normal human being is bound to feel compassion love to well from his heart the more he purifies himself that is something which is within from where it came i am already constituted that way so why bring the sense of agency that i am doing why not feel that there is a larger force whatever i may term it god allah ishwar whatever i may term it that larger force the force much much more bigger than life is as if working through me and i am just an instrument and i am playing the role i am supposed to play being an instrument as swami ramakrishnananda used to say he did he used to do tremendous amount of work from morning to evening in south india swami vivekananda has sent him to chennai to start the centers in south with chennai as the headquarters and gradually it started spreading lot of activities throughout south and you we all know those who are from the ramakrishna tradition that what an immense tremendous amount of work he did for the propagation of the ideas of ramakrishna there and people used to be amazed seeing him doing so much of work they used to ask say him that how is it possible for you to undertake so much of responsibility and his answer was something very unique very wonderful that i am just a pain in the hand of the author does the pain say ever say that i have written so many books it is the one who is holding the pain he is writing so that's the basic idea it is the god who is working through me when in the first generation after swami when swami when the order was started the new novices were joining the brahmacharis were joining the order and seeing the great personalities of that ramakrishna's direct disciples each were great in their own 
place in their own right so seeing those this illumined personalities these young ones used to get overwhelmed they used to say that how great they are can we ever be like them and one of the direct disciples swami premananda who was the manager of belumat who was in charge of taking care of these novices used to say something wonderful in reply to that he used to say never try to become something become nothing so that god works through you it is our ego which when it is cleansed then god starts working through us our ego becomes obstruction once we remove it it is god who is working we are just the mere instrument that there are so many uh, you know this this uh, oral traditions it is not in the scriptures as per the oral traditions so many nice anecdotes episodes are there even in the life of radha krishna there is a very nice such one such anecdote that once radha was asking krishna that your flute is fortunate one it is always getting your company you have already you have tucked in in your lion cloth either it is in your hand you are playing it or it is always with you how fortunate that flute is for others we get your company just for a while the flute is always getting your company and krishna in reply showed the flute to radha just see the flute what do you see inside nothing it's hollow it's hollow and krishna said breathe the flute once you can become that hollow that nothing then you become the eternal companion of the divine not only that god will play music through your life that flute that flute is for the music and god starts playing music through your life and that's the life which is the most fulfilled life so when we have this chitta shuddhi when the heart has been cleansed it takes you to a realization that this psychophysical existence is just a flow behind that you are the eternal self which is the trikal avadhita satya these words are this technical word has very profound meaning trikal avadhita that when i think of my personality what i find that i was born at certain point of time my existence started at certain point of time it continues for years and i know that it is going to end at certain point of time so it is not the existence is not uninterrupted through all the phases of time past present and future in past it was not in future it won't be and at present also it is going through constant change but the real me is eternal the psychophysical existence is just a flow in all the religions the mystics go to that realization where they become one with that unitary experience that the one exists without any limitation without any phase of time even in christian mysticism the famous christian mystic meister eckhart like vedanta he is echoing what he says the real me is in eternal present a wonderful term eternal present 
if there is no transformation the concept of time falls off the concept of time comes only when there is a transformation when there is no transformation you are that in easiness that pure unadulterated easiness that was that is that will be there is no change that is in the eternal present when one gets established in that it's not just i have read in the scriptures and i am just uttering those words what i have read it's just the lip service i am doing it's not that all the mystics from all the religions have went to the depth of their realization to have that unitary experience that's why sri ramakrishna used to say shekhane shop sheyaler akra all the fox howls in the same manner when they reach went reach that realization as if all you will find in the forest when one fox howls all will be howling as if to acknowledge that so here also sri ramakrishna is saying if you go to the mystic tradition you will find they all speak of that unitary experience which is ineffable it is very difficult to describe but it is something very very confirming they go, go to the depth to realize that self and then the question comes for such a person does action still exist does all the so called do's and don'ts which are applicable for us is still applicable for him so here now krishna will be taking karma yoga to a much profound dimension where he will say something which we have misunderstood for ages swami vivekananda used to say that sometimes we are text torturers once we get biased to some way of life some opinion we try to explain everything as per our bias we torture the text and that's how we will find in all the religions the text talk torturing has happened and we become conscious liars we will find we will go to the succeeding shlokas swami vivekananda always used to say go back to the source go back to the upanishad sometimes the interpretations can be misleading we will just go now in next succeeding few shlokas we will find that how misrepresentation misinterpretation of the core scriptures can lead to some historical blunders for which we may suffer for generations let us go to the 17th shloka where bhagwan is speaking of karma yoga even for a person who have attained self realization he will be speaking of it in the 17th 18th 19th in the three shlokas if we take together that's why we say never take a shlok just one shlok alone and try to interpret it because when someone is speaking there is a connection between what he has said previously and what he is going to say if i suddenly pick up some words it loses its context it goes out of the context and you may interpret it in a totally different way sometimes we find in the media that happens that the context has is not been taken into account some words has been taken and it is being propagated and we find it's misleading the person which one has actually was intending to say something and the, just the opposite meaning comes out 
and that is has happened with the slokas of gita which we are going to study so without much introduction let us go to the sloka and then we will try to find out that how the misinterpretation happened the 17th sloka of the third chapter yastu atma ratireva syat yastu atma ratireva syat atma triptascha manavah आत्मनव संतुष्ट तस्यम न विद्यते सो लिटरली व्हाट इज सेइंग द पर्सन हु इज डिलाइटेड इन आत्मन यस्तु आत्मरति रति मींस व्हेन यू आर इन डिलाइट बीइंग इन कंपेनियन विथ समवन यू आर with your loved one that the joy that comes out of it is rati so here the companion is not any other person it is atma your own self you are in communion with your own self the bliss that comes when you are in communion with your own self atma triptascha manava for his tripti for his satisfaction nothing else is required just diving deep within his own self he enjoys immense bliss what's the psychology behind it the science behind it we will try to describe but let us strike the first the literal meaning of the sloka that atma tripta the one who is self fulfilled who needs nothing who is enjoying the bliss within atman nevacha santushta he is totally fulfilled he has a joy in the atman alone he is satisfied in the atman alone santushta means he is satisfied for his satisfaction he needs nothing else tasya karyam navidyate for him there is no obligatory duty to be performed so now if you take this sloka we out of context we will make a big big blunder that once you go to the realization you have nothing to perform that has been interpreted for hundreds of years we in our in the vedanta tradition there are so many schools dvaita advaita vishishta advaita and there are some subtle differences in the way they believe but they are all in unison in this point as per the karya the duty is concerned they all have interpreted it is it as that he has gone beyond sense of duty that once he goes to the realization there is no duty for him he can remain actionless we forget in this chapter itself in this chapter itself there were shlokas in the 7th and the 8th shloka where bhagwan himself what he has saying was saying that even for the maintenance of your body you cannot stay without action there cannot be action the state of actionlessness that action has to go on naishkarmya is not possible as long as i am in the body in the 6th and the 8th shloka if you remember what the shlokas were nahi kaschit kshanam api jatu tishthatya karma krit karyate hyavasha karma sarva prakriti jair guna in the 6th shloka it was mentioned in this chapter itself we have already studied that there is no one who can remain without action even for a moment because we are compelled to act by the gunas 
the sattva rajatam are the three gunas the prakriti is always working through us we have to work even to maintain your body sharira yatra in the eighth sloka as i mentioned you have to work there cannot be a state in an embodied state without action that was mentioned but when interpreting this sloka suddenly we find they say yes there is a state that yes most probably that action is a must till you are not illumined once you are illumined there is no need for action when we will go to the next sloka we will find that that's not what bhagwan is intending let us try to understand between the lines what it is being mentioned here that there is the sense of duty that falls off and we make a big blunder here that we take action is synonymous to sense of duty that when i am doing action means out of sense of duty but there can be action there can be action without the sense of duty it's not from the sense of duty the action can be spontaneous just the way we were saying the instrument when you are an instrument in the hands of god there is no sense of agency action is still going on but not with a sense of duty because you know that you are just an instrument in the hands of the divine so the man who is established in the self for him all the sense of duty falls off now let us try to understand this karyangna vidyate the sense of duty from where it arises in vedanta they say the moment because of ignorance because of ignorance from where the sense of duty arises because of ignorance agyana what is agyana from where it came that i am the atman that atman gets reflected in the psychophysical existence and i become one with the psychophysical existence there's a nice uh, character the greek legendary character narcissus many of you have heard the word narcissistic this word narcissistic came from the greek legendary character narcissus a very handsome prince he was so much infatuated by his own beauty so much self possessed by his own beauty he would never care for any responsibilities for any relations nothing he was always uh, that's what is a busy he was uh, engaged in seeing his own beauty he was absorbed in his own beauty he saw his own beauty reflected in a reservoir he was so infatuated he took the reflection to be real and wanted to embrace it it jumped on the reservoir drowned and died so in spiritual sense we all are narcissistic like narcissus the atman the glorious atman which is beyond annihilation beyond death it is always majestic it's in bliss it sees its reflection in the psychophysical existence and takes the reflection to be real and as it dives into its psychophysical existence gets identified with it and that's the cause of its suffering how the suffering starts just that example which we give again and again that in a petri dish just see a microbe it is moving haphazardly through a microscope you are looking at it this all the microbes are moving haphazardly they are having no as such direction and you put and you just drop a new just a small drop of nutrient in the center of the petri dish now you will find all the microbes have gathered direction they are moving towards it 
Now instead of that nutrient, if you give some toxin there, they will move away from it. So here it will explain the moment we get identified with the psychophysical existence. The Atman got identified, the Brahman got identified with that micro body, the ignorance starts. What happens? It thinks if this body dies, I die. So this identification with the body makes it move towards the nutrient. Why? That yes, for that my body's sustenance means my sustenance. That ignorance has dawned. From ignorance comes that ego, asmita, ahankara, that I am this. I have to live eternally through this body. I forget that the eternity is being echoed. Just I'm standing in front of the mountain, I shout my name, my, mind, my mind own name is echoed back. That's what is happening. The self is echoing through our psychophysical existence, saying, you're eternal, you're eternal. And I think that psychophysical existence is eternal. But the eternity is something which is already with me. I don't have to realize it through the body-mind complex. The sense of duty arises when I get identified with the psychophysical existence. That now, what happens? Now, as the life becomes more and more complex, the basic thing is that, that there are certain things which is going to sustain me and all those whom I think mine, and there are certain things which is not going to sustain me. So from that, this sense of this egocentric existence, the sense of duty comes. But when we go to the realization that I am the self, not this body-mind complex. Now the entire biological evolution has happened from that ignorance. Just see, the microbe knows very well that though something is saying behind it is echoing that you're eternal, it knows very well. A little change in the external condition is going to kill him. His psychophysical existence is going to be over. A little more heat, a little more uh, humidity, a little more change of the environmental, this weather conditions will going to kill him. But it wants to be eternal through the body. So what it does, the entire evolution, biological evolution is the product of that ignorance. How it has happened? Now it, hearing that echo of eternity from behind, which is trying to realize through the body, through the psychophysical existence, it tries, it starts evolving. How? It will start conglomerating with other microbes start forming a body and start dividing there's a division of labor just take the human body at last it's such a sophisticated body but it is actually conglomeration of billions of such small cells individual cells they have this wonderful division of labor you do the circulation i do the digestion you take the respiration part why we have evolved, conglomerated? So that the echo which is coming from behind, that you're eternal, that is realized more and more through this body-mind complex. The biological evolution cannot go through eternity. As a human being, we have developed that faculty to realize that the infinite can never be realized through this flow. This is a futile attempt. I can never do. I'm already eternal. Somehow, because of that ignorance that I am this reflection, all this evolution has happened. Now the renunciation dawns. 
I know because of ignorance that sense of unfulfillment has developed. I'm already fulfilled. I'm already in bliss. I'm already eternal. There's no need to be attached to the psychophysical existence and try to evolve biologically to realize that eternity. It is already there. And from that retreat, this type of sense of fulfillment comes. Yastu Atmarati. He is now satisfied with himself. He has having enjoys the bliss within himself. Atmatripta. There is no need for the world, external world, to satisfy me. I am always in bliss. That our uh, idea that the bliss can be obtained from attaining the objects of desires is again another ignorance. Is why it is ignorance? If you try to find out the nature of bliss which we have by acquiring things, constantly we are trying to acquire things. From where that bliss comes? That bliss never comes from acquiring things. The bliss comes from desirelessness. It is never from the object's fulfillment of the desire. You will say, how? That I was craving for the latest model car, certain car which my neighbor has, I also want. I also want it. And when somehow, by taking loan or in whatever way, I at last managed to get the car, a tremendous happiness. I felt, I felt that tremendous joy. And you say that it is a desirelessness which gives you happiness. It is not the fulfillment of desire. But if you try to find out the nature of the mind, whatever desire may be there in my life, have ever the desire gave me happiness? No. Very nicely Swami Vivekananda used to explain, our mind is like a lake. Each and every thoughts, thought waves, feelings are like the waves on that lake. All our thoughts are like the vritti, like, the, like waves in the lake. Now when a lake is turbulent, it has a lot of waves. Can you see the bottom? Never. The lake has to be tranquil. The water has to be transparent. Then I can as if see the bottom of the lake. So Swamiji is saying, Swami Vivekananda in Raja Yoga lecture, he is saying that our mind is like the lake and the real me, the self, is just as if the bottom of that lake, of that reservoir. It is behind that mind. When the mind is turmoil, full of desires, distractions, you can never realize the self. Now the self has three factors. So that what is the self? Sat, Chit, Ananda, Swarupa. Sat means existence. It is something which is Trikala Vadhita, that the real me is something of which I am aware. Even when I close my eyes, my ears, all the sense I close, I have no interaction with the world, I have stopped my thought webs, I can never get rid of that constant idea that I am, I am generating from within me. I am always aware that I am. This I am speaks of Satswarupata, Chitswarupata, your existence and your awareness of that existence. You never forget that. Whether you are happy, whether you are so, full of dejection, sorrow, you always know I am. I am you never forget. So when the mind is turmoil, Selective filtration happens. I never forget that I am. That is always there. 
but something is filtered out. The bliss factor, that Sat, Chit, Ananda, Sat and Chit never gets filtered out. That we are always palpably realizing. That is always there with us. What we, uh, what is gets filtered out, what we cannot realize is that Ananda Swarupata. The self is bliss. When the mind is full of turmoil, that bliss factor gets filtered out. It's just like the selective uh, filtration. In the olden days, if you go to Rajasthan, the, all the palaces, the, this, you know, they, in the windows, you will find they used to use mica. The glass was not there in those days. They used to use mica sheets. Why? In that hot weather, mica has the property of insulating heat, but it allows the light to pass through. So that is a selective filtration. It is allowing the light, but it won't allow the heat. So you can be very cool, but your room is lighted. So this, our mind also does the same type of selective filtration. It never filters out that your Sat Swarupata and Chit Swarupata, your awareness that you are, that is always there. Ananda Swarupata gets filtered out. Now when I have thousands of desires, from that suddenly one desire becomes prominent. Every day small, small desires I have and suddenly the desire to get that latest model car becomes prominent in my mind. So what happens? One wave starts engulfing all waves. Now your mind doesn't have thousand waves. It has only one wave, similar wave, again and again is rising. I want that, I want that, I want that. And when you manage to get that, for the time being, there is no wave. The wave has now become calm, subsided. And now you feel bliss. It is ignorance. From ignorance I think it is that, that thing which has given me happiness. But it has never happened. Actually when the mind becomes calm, the Ananda Swarupata which was getting filtered out, that now starts percolating through your body, mind, senses. It is coming from within. It is welling up from within. All happiness comes from let go. And I am desiring something. The moment I get it, a relaxation comes, a let go. And the bliss which is within, that wells up. It never comes from outside. So now you will understand, when we stop chasing after the desires, it gives us happiness just for the time being. And that also doesn't come from the world. The world advertises happiness, but it can never give you happiness. The happiness, even that fraction of second which you got that happiness. For the small moment you got that happiness. It was from the self which was welling up. The world was just an advertisement. It can never give you happiness. It was welling from within. But again new desires comes and covers up your happiness. Again the waves develop. Why? Because of that wrong notion it is the thing outside which can give me happiness. If I would have known the bliss is always within I just have to have that let go, that relaxation, keep the mind free from all desires. Then that happiness is something which is always with me. It becomes something like Tailadharavat in the scripture they say. When you pour oil from one vessel to another, there is no interruption. It's a, because of the viscosity, it's a constant flow. Your happiness becomes something like that. It becomes Tailadharavat. So now think of that happiness compared to our happiness which comes after a lot of stress and strain, a little fraction. 
It's just in the words of Ramakrishna, our happiness, the worldly happiness is just like the water. You just, uh, what you say, drop water in a very hot pan. In a red hot pan you pour water. The water just stays there for a just a very small moment. Immediately it evaporates. Ramakrishna is saying that worldly happiness is like that. It's just like a flash. It's gone because of the wrong notion that happiness is something outside. We're constantly chasing that. If we know the art of let go, then the bliss is something which wells from within and which is always there with you. And that's the thing which is far, far superior, superlative than this all trivial happiness. And that's why even in the scripture, in Taittiriya Upanishad, we will find that there is a section which is called Anandasya Mimansa, that investigation into the bliss, and where it says that all types of pleasures is only a fraction, is only just a fraction of Atmananda, the bliss which is from Atman, the bliss of Atman. Etasya eva anandasya matram upajivanti. We, that the happiness which we get in our life with the trivial pleasures is just a fraction of that real happiness. So one who has been established in the self. So it is a nice, uh, you know, this even uh, nowadays they say the philosophy is in the language. If you study the language of any culture, try to find out that how that language has evolved, you will find the philosophy uh, of that culture behind their language. Very interesting that for a sannyasin in Hindu cult, in a Hindu monk, is called Maharaj. Now Maharaj means the emperor, the king of kings, and a monk who has nothing. Uh, he has nothing to possess. His life is just a very very humble life. There is no so-called worldly abundance. And he is being termed as Maharaj, the emperor. You know why? Why this term Maharaj is for the sannyasin, who is just a, a person who has no wealth, no property? Now, it's very interesting that richness, what is richness, what, when I have wealth, that what it speaks of? That when I was poor, I had various wants. I want this, I want that. I could never fulfill. And I have the idea, when I become rich, I will be beyond all wants. I will get all the things. So the idea, real idea of richness, of richness is you are going beyond wants. The more you go beyond want, you are rich. Now the paradox is here. The more we accrue wealth, we become extremely poor. We have only wealth, nothing else. That why he is poor? He has only money, nothing else, no happiness, nothing. Because it has increased his want so much that nothing can satisfy him. He is obsessed by his want. More and more and more. See, he is an extremely poor fellow. But this person, the so-called wandering monk, who is established in his self, he has gone beyond want. So who is the rich person? The one who has gone beyond want. It doesn't speak of the wealth which you have. 
have it is a very subjective feeling if you have that subjective feeling i have no want you are the richest person you have gone beyond the want so that's why a wandering monk who has gone beyond all the wants is called maharaj so that's the idea here in this shloka now for him there is no karya no duty now if i think that he becomes totally actionless so there again we will be making a big mistake as i told that let us not read these shlokas individually it has to be connected with the succeeding shlokas because bhagwan is speaking something in continuity so this doesn't imply actionless as as something imperative that follows enlightenment that the moment i get enlightened and i become actionless so we will have to study the succeeding verse uh, just in this uh, context it remembers me it reminds me of a very funny anecdote which sri ramakrishna used to say that the moment we get biased we start understanding things in a totally distorted fashion is to say a very interesting anecdote but what there were two weavers the two weavers they were friends these two ladies they were two both uh, this woman they were friends they were for in ch- as a child they were friends and then uh, after marriage or something for long time they haven't met each other they were in different towns so one day by chance this one of this weaver was passing by the road of the other weaver her friend and by chance they both met and this the one who was the staying there he invited she invited uh, the other please come to my house so the guest weaver and and the host weaver that's how like let, let us try to understand so the host weaver invited the guest and told after such a long time we met just please come let us have a chit chat please sit let me go and bring some refreshment for you now very interesting the host as she is a weaver she was in her house was actually with lot of cotton balls she was weaving something so all the cotton balls were spread out and this guest weaver came she is also weaver she had a look she just looked around and found one of the ball this cotton ball is very attractive the color she was very lured to get that now the host said let me go and get some refreshments for you so when she went in the other couldn't resist she was so lured she picked up that ball cotton ball and where to hide it she hid it under the armpit and she was sitting with the arm pressed she was sitting now the host came with the refreshments and now when the guest was having his refreshments the host weaver realized that one of the ball is missing and she was a bit surprised where the ball has gone and seeing the guest she realized that she has hidden it under the armpit because the way she was sitting she realized now how to get it that was quite expensive how to get it back she just cannot simply charge her directly that will be too rude way to just ask for it so she devised a plan she told after such a long time the guest the host told 
after such a long time we met i'm so elated i'm feeling like dancing come why not we dance together to to just uh celebrate this occasion uh the naturally the guest the guest weaver was not willing she was just again and again somehow trying to find out some pretext not to and then as the host went on insisting at last she had to agree now both got up now the host was dancing freely with both the arms raised and the guest weaver she was dancing with only one arm raised the other arm was pressed she cannot raise both the arms the host asked is that the way to dance how peculiar way we are dancing just see i'm dancing so freely with both my arms raised the host told in bengali je jamun jane ban as you know i don't know to dance with this both raised hands up raised i know to dance this way only what to do so sri ramakrishna used to relate this anecdote and say that if you are biased in the scripture also some shlokas you will take and put it in your armpit and your dance now won't be free you cannot dance freely because because of your bias because you are lured to particular type of idea you have pressed your arm now you are no more free so if we connect it with the next shloka and don't try to torture the text interpret it as per the words we will find that it gives a wonderful meaning as swami vivekananda used to say that the basic idea of karma yoga is seek not avoid not that you will find related in the next shloka that the one who is atma tripta who goes beyond the sense of duty but that doesn't mean that all action falls off action still continue in how let us read the shloka and then we will go to the meaning that the one who is atma tripta for whom karyana vidyate all the actions has fallen all the sense of duty has fallen off for him what he is saying in the next shloka naiva tasya kritena artha na eva tasya kritena artha that he or she has no object in this world to gain through his action that by why do we do action to get something isn't it so there is nothing in this world there is no artha no no objective which he has to gain through action naiva tasya kritena artha the next phrase is very important na akrite neha kaschana nor does he or she this lose anything by non performance he has neither to gain through action nor he has to gain anything by inaction that's artha the word artha means purpose he has no purpose for inaction also this is the thing which is the catch point he has he or she has no purpose he has nothing to gain through action neither he or she has to gain something through inaction what it is indicating in our egocentric life what happens some job i want to join i want to get that appointment why from outside it looks a very lucrative job it will give me power it will give me position in life prestige in life it will give wealth and when i am in the work now i find 
there is lot of office politics bossing and i get fed up and now i think enough of it let me go away from it let me run away i will try to get other job at least let me leave this job from our egocentric experience what happens sometimes there is a purpose we where there is there is we have a sense that i will gain something by getting that job and then again we have a sense that i want to go to my security zone comfort zone by avoiding this work so actionlessness also is egocentric of course action is also egocentric actionlessness can also be egocentric but a fan of man of realization neither he has anything to desire for nor he has to go to the comfort zone because it is it is giving him challenge he has to run away from it so that's the real meaning means he does the work once he has gone to the realization he knows very well he is the witness the body mind is going through a flow because of the position in which it has been placed by some bigger plan it has been placed it is going through that life through a flow sometimes situation comes in which it is in favorable circumstances it as if is in through the pleasures that also he or she is witnessing as he is establishing himself and when it is going through the turmoil tensions challenges it is witnessing it's not me i am just the experiencer as when sri ramakrishna was suffering from cancer in the last days when anyone used to ask that sir how are you he used to say sharir tar dukho jane mon tumi anande thako the body knows its suffering o mind be at peace sri ramakrishna used to say that a man of realization an illumined soul is like a, is like a ripened coconut when the coconut is unripe you can in it is, it is impossible to separate the shell from the kernel they are all intertwined when the coconut is ripe you take the ripe coconut in your hand and you shake it you will find that the kernel has got separated from the shell so when you are are you realize that you are the self your shell has got separated from the kernel the body mind goes through because of its past momentum just the example which we give that since suppose the fan is revolving the moment i switch it off immediately doesn't stop because of its past momentum it will go on its motion for some time to stop so for a man of realization the desires has fallen off he has switched off his desire but the psychophysical existence has to continue because of its past momentum the momentum which it has started so let it go on in whatever situation it is it is going on as per the plan of the divine let it go on i am not in any way attached to it so your attitude becomes seek not avoid not so that's the idea just see that you can you that a man of realization gains nothing through action neither he gains anything through inaction that's the idea we have to link to understand with the previous sloka to understand the idea of duty the duty comes from the sense of that i need something i have to avoid something so neither you need something neither you have to avoid anything 
So that's the idea. So he or she has no object in this world to gain by doing action, nor he or she has any object to gain through inaction. Nor he or she has the need for depending on anyone. Na cha asya sarva bhuteshu kaschid artha vyapasraya. See, in our life, all our happiness is extraneous. Either through relations or through wealth or through position, status in life, we get the happiness. They are all extraneous. For him, all those extraneous means has fallen off. Because he has been established in that intrinsic bliss which emanates from the self. So he or she is in, there is no need for depending on anyone for any desirable object. That's what is in the second line it means. Nacha asya sarva bhuteshu kaschit artha vyapasraya. So, we, so that's why the, <coughs> the idea is that when you go to, when you get established in the self, then the body-mind complex as per its inherent nature, swabhava, these ideas in the succeeding chapters of Bhagavad Gita will come. That we cannot forsake our swabhava as per the situation in which I am being born, the family in which I am born, the culture in which I am born. I have, my body-mind has developed some inherent tendencies, the taste, even the food, all the taste for the food is something which is acquired. The culture in which you are born as a child, from small children, the food which is tasty, very tasty for you, may not be tasty for others. Because all those we develop through those culture, we just develop through the upbringings, <coughs> our inner temperaments. <coughs> so as per Swabhava, the body-mind has to work. As per the circumstances, it has to go on. So seek not, avoid not. As we will go to the succeeding sloka, Bhagwan Krishna himself will give this example of seek not avoid it in his own life. He will come to it gradually. So that's why I'm saying that we all have to study the slokas. We have to connect them to find out the real meaning. Otherwise, what's, what's the result? We will find that actionless becomes our highest ideal. That all the action is just for our secondary details, is for our evolution. Once we evolve, we are beyond the action. <coughs> and that leads to a type of compromise, a laziness. <coughs> In the name of religion, all the hypocrisy starts. Even if you are not a realized soul, you <coughs> pose as if you are a realized soul. And actionlessness is your way of life. Swami Vivekananda used to say, the, sh the shortcut to tamas is the so-called apparent sattva. That you just have to show that you are very sattvic. And that's the easy way of uh, <clears throat> going to that tamasic state. Sometimes jokingly we say that meditation is the most respectful way of doing nothing. Uh, you that you are doing nothing and uh, you will be respected for that. I mean, it's meditation we shouldn't take in that negative implication. But what's the idea behind that? The most of us sometimes resort to spirit resort to spirituality with the idea that it is something 
equivalent to that actionless no that we are not to, that our spiritual evolution is not to make us veggies that don't react <coughs> it is not a state of anesthesia where you don't feel <coughs> it is a state of extreme awareness you are aware of all the things which are happening but you are detached you are not in the flow you are out of the flow watching the flow and that's the idea which bhagwan is trying to that uh, explain to krishna arjuna just if you take the context of gita it started with the idea arjuna wanted arjuna wanted to renounce he wanted to go away from the battlefield not to fight on this context the teachings of krishna so here the question of running away doesn't come at all even when a soul is realized <clears throat> even for a realized soul the idea is once you're realized you are immersed in the bliss of yourself the so called external world with its psychophysical existence goes on it doesn't disturb you it goes as per the circumstance it may be sometimes elated sometimes maybe in the challenging circumstances but as you are not attached to it you can see it as if with a bird's eye view without getting in any way disturbed by it so neither you seek nor you avoid just as an instrument you continue with your life even after going to that realization so there are the two states in bhagavad gita these terms are very important aruruksha yoga arura when you are aspiring and when you have went to the realization you have ascended that yoga arura you have ascended the yoga aruruksha you are trying to you are aspiring to reach that state for both karma is something which continues only the sense of duty falls off that i am not doing it with a sense of duty it is just going on spontaneously just as a flow in a very detached way i am this body mind complex is placed in a particular circumstances and based on its swabhava it is working as in the bhagavad gita's own words guna guneshu vartante it will come all these words will come is interaction between the gunas by which it is going i am apart from it so it is not the actionlessness which is speaking of even for a realized soul action can go on and that will be spoken of with the example of king janaka in the succeeding shlokas we will come to it as we proceed to the succeeding shlokas in the next class so thank you all namaskars we will again continue from the next shloka in the next class